Well, I'm thrilled to have Daniel Kleinman from Seaworthy Collective with me today on the show. Welcome, Daniel. Thank you so much. Great to be here. I'm really glad you could join. Um, I recently watched your your TEDx chat, which I, I want you to maybe dive into a couple of the topics there actually at some point. But can you start just by giving us a quick overview of, of what Seaworthy Collective is and what your mission is? Absolutely. So Seaworthy Collective is a Miami-based blue tech or ocean innovation startup incubator and community. Our whole mission is to enable access and inclusion and innovation for ocean and climate impact. How do we open up the funnel of talent and ideas to really propel forward the innovations that we need to regenerate our ocean and therefore our climate? So, so it kind of goes hand in hand, this whole ocean and the environment and the climate side for you guys. You look at, I think, you know, everyone's approaching climate from very much a kind of carbon mitigation standpoint. And we talk about planting trees and stuff, but you're solely focused on the ocean. Why, why have you chosen that? Well, I love to say when it comes to climate solutions, we are terrestrially biased, you know, focused on leveraging less than 30% of the planet to try to solve a global problem. The ocean is one of the biggest heat sinks and carbon sinks on our planet, as well as host to the most biodiversity. So if... If we're going to actually reverse climate change, the oceans have to be part of that, right? It has to be part of the solution. And so, you know, the way that we see it, especially being based here in Miami, is that, you know, we are the epicenter of uh, the effects of a changing climate and rising sea levels. And we have to have these solutions here that also apply so to so many other places. And so it really is about this social impact and economic impact to drive ocean and climate impact because we need to make this an inclusive field. And uh, I'll share more on my experience, but it's there's a lot that needs to change on the social and economic side before we can even get to the environmental side as well. And, and what first kind of got you inspired or brought you, you know, into this domain? So I, I mentioned I'm from South Florida originally. I uh, really saw, you know, firsthand the die off of our coral reefs. You know, there's less than 10%. I think it's even actually less than 5% left of our remaining reef cover in the Florida Keys, which is the largest reef, you know, in the in in the US. And you know, really growing up down here, it's hard not to be passionate about the ocean. And at the same time, I always had a thing for math and science. Uh, I knew I was going to go into engineering. My dad actually was an engineer as well and mm-hmm. an entrepreneur as well. And so I went off to college studying environmental engineering, quickly shifted to mechanical engineering after realizing I would rather work on the kind of alternative energy side than, uh, than on water quality side. But I really was inspired uh, end of my freshman year by James Cameron's dive to the Mariana's Trench. Uh, that was actually now uh, 10 years ago. Wow. And, and really that just kind of opened my eyes to the opportunity to do technology and innovation for ocean science and exploration. All my all my colleagues in mechanical engineering were focused on aerospace and you know going, uh, going, going upwards. And I saw the opportunity to really go the other way and exploring the deepest part of our planet that at least had some potential for life, which they did, did end up finding down there. And really that career path led me into marine robotics where I did anything from piloting, testing and designing unmanned underwater vehicles. And really just seeing firsthand both the opportunity that the technology can provide, but at the same time, the lack of opportunity there was for actually creating an impact with it. Uh, My career was primarily, primarily in the defense industry and really that obviously isn't necessarily in service of our planet. Um, And really all the other opportunities I saw were in the fossil fuel sector. So it's really kind of this bigger picture view, which I actually developed through a fellowship uh, at Stanford and Google called the University Innovation Fellowship, my senior year of undergrad, that helped me have this design and systems thinking view on the industry as a whole and understanding Mm -hmm. that my experience in having a lack of opportunity to really make a meaningful impact despite having 
all of the technical know-how and credibility I could need to get a career in this space never had that opportunity. And if I didn't have that opportunity, how someone with, you know, without that background or even coming from a socioeconomically disadvantaged background is supposed to have that opportunity. And so that's really what kind of laid the foundations for launching Seaworthy and at the same time really thinking about breaking down those barriers for ocean and climate impact. I'm glad you did because um, it's a really important emerging scene. I, I think we probably have a ton of mutual contacts because it's an area where I'm super, super interested in seeing a lot more investment and a lot more um, innovation and uh, and talent focusing on it because I agree with your terrestrial bias. We, we're kind <laughs> of land-dwelling people, aren't we? Uh, so at the end of the day, that's what we think about. Uh, we don't really, the ocean's a beautiful place to go and visit and we get sick of seeing plastic on the beach and stuff like that. But we don't really know too much about a lot of the ocean. And, and now, of course, there's lots of pressure on mining and other things starting to mm -hmm. go there. So, I mean, this talk comes at a good moment, I think, because we, we've just had that uh, fantastic high seas treaty like being ratified. Uh, it still needs to be ratified, obviously, into law in, in countries and stuff. But maybe having 30 percent of the ocean protected is, um, you know, going to be a catalyst for a whole heap of innovation. So is, is that something that's on your mind or does it not really affect you? Yeah, well, I think so. There's there's a balance. Right. And, and I'll say, you know, for Seaworthy's end, we don't really focus on the policy side. Um, mm -hmm. I've actually made uh, one of the politicians. In, in, in our area rolled their eyes when I said innovation should drive policy rather than the other way around. Uh, but, you know, really, uh, it, is a, it is a landmark moment, though, in, in ocean policy, because, I mean, we haven't seen progress for a very long time. And I know, you know, it was over a decade to get to this point. What I will say, and, and especially when we talk about capital, you know, out of all the 17 sustainable development goals, SDG 14, life below mm -hmm. water, is by far and away the least funded at just 0.01%. And so what my hope in is is out of this treaty, you know, that we actually see the level of investment to start balancing out our approach in the SDGs and in general in climate that we are prioritizing the blue economy. That to me is really the tangible piece, right? Um, I mean, there's still so much, especially when we talk about the innovation for protecting 30% of the ocean. How, how do you actually enforce that, right? I mean, there's still so much work that needs to be done for, de for deploying and scaling technology to do that because um, there's going to be a lot of need for that. And that's just one example. But, you know, really it's, it's I think, important that people don't look at the ocean as just a conservation effort. And in fact, you know, part of why I started Seaworthy and got into the regenerative movement was from from the very beginning, I saw sustainability as not enough for the ocean, right? And conservation and sustainability, as idealistic as they are, aren't really going to do enough if we, you know, if we continue on the path that climate change is creating, right? The oceans are heating up fat, heating up and absorbing all the heat of, of our changing climate. And at the same time, they're acidifying. And if they heat up more than 1.5 degrees, degrees Celsius, then the corals pretty much are all going to die. So mm -hmm. it so it is all interconnected and you know we need to think about solutions scalably and not just as a philanthropic effort. And so could you give me an idea of um, the kinds of solutions or the kinds of startups that you guys have been working with? And actually before that, you're a venture studio, or, or I read you're a venture studio. Tell me about how you found that journey and is that the model that you're pursuing moving forward? What do you what do you see as the right model as a catalyst to get more companies into this space? Absolutely. So I, I know I, I dove deep into our, our problem statement. Uh, so really in breaking down what I call those systems systemic barriers to ocean and climate impact, which is the lack of capital, 
private sector really being duopolized between the defense and fossil fuel industries, and then uh, academia really leading students to siloed career paths in either public sector or research, which are both very limited and underfunded, uh, we really saw this need to create, find a mechanism to democratize that opportunity to do ocean and climate impact work and what we say, blue economy or ocean economy work. And so when I started Seaworthy, I actually wrote the business plan, started in 2019 uh, around an accelerator. Uh, then when COVID hit, I realized going into something that that later stage was something, you know, that, I mean, first off, I was still building my acumen for, or really just starting to. Um, so we kind of settled on an incubator. And then at the end of 2020, after we launched, uh, I learned about the venture studio model. And that to me hit the nail on the head of solving the problem I wanted to solve of enabling access and inclusion in ocean and climate impact by democratizing the opportunity through building interdisciplinary teams. And so, uh, oh, sorry, and so what, can you just give the distinction between a venture builder and a venture studio? What's a venture studio for the, for mm -hmm. the uh, average person on the street? Yes. So there's kind of three models of what I say is like startup support or founder support models. There's the venture studio, which is basically bringing people together to build something from scratch. Um, and it's arguably the newest model. I would say it's about 10 years old. Then there are incubators, which help people really go from early stage idea to getting that first, you know, getting that first investment pilot you know, going from idea to really initial prototype implementation. And then there's accelerators that help people really scale up that prototype or minimum viable product to, you know, massive scale, you know, commercial deployment. And so thinking about entrepreneurship, product development, or even just the journey of a, of, of a founder uh, along all these different places, the venture studio is really the first thing that had helped people get started. And that was my whole goal is just we need to enable the flow of talent because really in the ocean sciences, it's it's I mentioned this earlier, a social problem, right? It's mm -hmm. we have to change the culture, right? People have been in a self-perpetuating system of thinking the only way I'm going to make an impact in the ocean space is if I get a PhD and end up at a university or if I work at NOAA, at least in the U.S. Um, <laughs> and and both of those are bureaucratic nightmares that are underfunded and have, I mean, they've, I'm not under, not, not taking anything away from the impact they've created, but it hasn't happened at the scale that we need, right? And and it's continually held back by those other factors I mentioned, especially with a lack of funding. And so we need to have another pathway, right? That's that's That was my gut feeling as I navigated the industry was just there had to be another pathway. And, you know, thankfully, I found a community in innovation and entrepreneurship in my fellowship I did in undergrad. And I just said, well, it has to start with community, right? And that was part of where we started was just building community virtually through the pandemic um, and helping people realize that they could be part of this work. So this is super early stuff, right? VCs are basically backing um, typically stuff when it's, you know, more than a MVP or or certainly got, you know, good indications of traction where, whereas with your your approach, you're finding talented people who are passionate about this domain and maybe skilled in a certain domain, like area of it. And you're, you're kind of building alongside them or you're supporting them to understand where the areas that they need, um, you know, your, your support in order to get this thing to something that's financeable and scalable is that is that fair yeah and so actually let's i mean so to dive into kind of where we've been and where we are now you know, really so we started out we launched our first cohort of our venture studio in 2021 but as we started to kind of open up the opportunity which we call our opportunities for sea change uh for people to to jump in and work with us uh we realized you know we don't need to just build these interdisciplinary teams. There are tons of early stage entrepreneurs in, in the blue economy coming to us saying we need support and there's nowhere else to go. Um, and so we actually started with this kind of hybrid approach, 80-20 approach of supporting mm -hmm. 
80% current early stage founders and 20% co-created startups. And so we did that for our first two years, uh, supporting 20 startups across four different continents uh, and solutions ranging from sea cucumber aquaculture to 3D printing seawalls, uh, an autonomous boat for collecting uh, sea invasive seaweed called sargassum and turning it into uh, turning into meaningful products. We've worked with seaweed farmers who are capturing carbon with seaweed and even folks in plastic pollution space doing things from autonomous boats to collect plastic pollution to processing systems to separate microplastics from uh, from organic matter in marine debris. And so, well, wow. yeah. And so all <laughs> these different pieces, though, what's really interesting is that, you know, we can build value chains or essentially connect the value that each of these solutions are creating. So, for example, taking Clean Earth Rover's uh, autonomous autonomous uh, surface vehicles or boats for collecting marine debris and then handing it off to uh, Seed World's uh, vacuum pumps that are separating these marine debris uh, and organic matter so that they can actually uh, process it and recycle it instead of just throw everything in landfill. That's super varied. So, I mean, I've got a lot of questions about mm-hmm. like how you kind of can approach so many different um, things and, and maybe what your priorities are in terms of the areas that you guys are looking to support and looking to build out. But you touched briefly on sargasm, which is like not sargasm, sarcasm uh i'm british so we obviously like to use a lot of sarcasm but me too yeah a, a type of seaweed basically and and it's a bit topical because like i read in the news today that there's this gigantic like huge clump of of this seaweed that has that apparently is twice the width of the united states <laughs> or something insane that's kind of heading towards florida and the caribbean and 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 is just washing up on beaches in incredible volumes so like i'm intrigued to learn a bit about what can be done about that and i think you know these kind of weird freakish huge natural occurrences are 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 potentially going to intensify because um basically we're disrupting uh, as you pointed out earlier the the kind of the environment with uh you know different things happening including the toxic chemicals and things going into the ocean and that's causing these huge blooms and and that seaweed is actually a massive problem right because it, it's also very high in arsenic so it's not like you can just kind of let it like let it wash up into a mangrove because uh, that they're you know mangroves are where all the baby fishes are coming from and stuff like that so it's a huge it's it's going to be a huge cleanup operation. Are you seeing this yourself in in Miami yet, or is it is it on its way? Um, I mean, I, I haven't seen it. Well, okay, so yes, we've seen sargassum historically here. It's it's nothing new. I don't think we've seen it. Um, I've seen it in significant mats before. Um, I will say it's affected the the Caribbean and especially uh, one of one of our startups I mentioned is uh, the Lasso. They were the ones with a boat that's actually collecting sargassum. They've seen it in Mexico for for in much more volume than we have, and you know we're just starting to see it now, which is why it's starting to get mainstream. But you know it's 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 something that you know I get back to the regenerative approach. You know it's it's that we've really been only addressing the symptoms and not the root problems, right? Mm-hmm. And so the sargassum is just a symptom of the fact that we are uh, over oversaturating the water with nutrients, right? These these things mm-hmm. bloom because there's so much wastewater runoff, which I believe the the actual source, uh, you know, I, I, I'll check my science on it, but I, I believe it was actually from runoff in the Amazon that leaches mm-hmm. into into the into the ocean and then flows up here with uh, with seaweed that blooms from it, right? And but we have plenty of wastewater and agricultural runoff here that's also creating not only sargassum but also green algae and on the west coast of Florida, red tide. So it's it's really 
you know, it, we need to look at things more than just on, I mean, no pun intended, the surface level, right, of these mm-hmm. floating seaweed, but how are we actually solving the root problems, right? And that's really, mm-hmm. to me, the biggest, another p- piece of the perspective shift in the ocean space is understanding that this is, you know, it, it's no longer just symptomatic treatment, but really thinking about things holistically in solving problems at their root. As an engineer, I can't sleep at night knowing I just put a Band-Aid on something. So, <laughs> Well, it's, it's a big challenge because the ocean's a vast and uh, a complex ecosystem. So, so how do you prioritize which issues to focus on when you're, you're co-creating you know, these companies? Yeah. So, and actually, I, I just want to make sure I, I cover all my bases. So where we are now, um, so we've you know, had the last two years where we supported 20 startups across four different continents, um, and they've already gone on to raise over $6.5 million in investment in the last year alone. But really, where we are now is we've actually shifted our, our focus to full incubator accelerator, primarily incubator, early stage is our, is our niche. And at the same time, you know, what we saw was the venture studio for our mission was a bit of an overcomplicated solution, although idealistic, uh, which I definitely pursue some of these idealistic things. And, um, and so the way that we're uh, we're shifting is that we are giving our community opportunities to contribute to these early stage startups. And so it's helping, you know, helping solve the social challenge of needing experience to get experience and having an opportunity that again, has real, really rarely existed in the ocean impact space. And so we're just ramping up a brand new program that also is better in line with our, our mission of access and inclusion, where, you know, before the venture studio program was 12 weeks a year, once a year, if you missed that window, you know, I had to say better luck next year, right? So mm-hmm. now we have a year round program uh, that was actually seeded by the US Department of Energy, and it's our first federal grant. And basically what that is enabling us to do is have a month, a rolling monthly cohort throughout the year with a big demo day at the end of the year where we're taking on startups year round and, you know, encouraging people to apply right now on our website um, because it's really just about how do we, how do we bring people in at any time and make sure that that door is always open. Um, and so, you know, for us, it's really how we envision being able to scale up because doing 10 startups at a time in our last cohorts uh, was a lot but mm-hmm. we can actually hit impact more startups over a longer duration of time without giving them, you know, without over, over prescribing. Right. And so it's a, it's a flexible duration program as well as, you know, rolling year round. So it's, it's a really, in, in our way, we kind of see it as the future of incubators and accelerators where, you know, it's, it's still focused on the human capital side of bringing the community in, but at the same time, um, really, really creating something accessible. And then the other thing I wanted to mention is, so we started with six verticals of impact, and now we've really zoomed into what we're best at, which is these three verticals. So greenhouse gas reduction and removal, which includes seaweed farming and nature-based solutions like mangroves, as well as decarbonization, coastal resilience and adaptation, so environmental restoration. Um, so again, mangroves mangroves get to count for a lot of things in the ocean space, um, <laughs> but also also coral reefs, you know, infrastructure like seawalls and anything else to, mit- to help reinforce and mitigate uh, the effects of sea level rise. And then pollution, which is, of course, of course taking on water quality as well as tackling pa- plastic pollution, both upstream before it can get into, get into the water, like the supply chain, or downstream by getting it out of the water. Amazing. So you heard it here, folks. If you've got basically an emerging or, you know, brilliant uh, potential company that is, I don't know, addressing climate change, improving resilience in coastal regions or, or getting rid of some of the nasty stuff in the ocean, then then you'd be interested in a chat. And and I think part of it, too, is that, you know, people and this is really the other part of our, our, our cause and our core mission is that, you know, you don't have to have a marine science degree or PhD to do this work. I think that's the mm-hmm. piece when 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 I say that I see light bulb go 
off for many people because they're like, so many people are passionate about the ocean, but immediately write off their opportunity to do it. You know, I, I was a mechanical engineer and even that was being an outsider, right? Ocean engineering is actually a very, very specialized and I think there's only mm-hmm. a handful of schools that offer that. And my school wasn't one of them. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's really helping people realize that at the end of the day, entrepreneurship is about scrappy, being scrappy and resourceful and you don't have to have all the expertise. And the whole goal is that we have that network of expertise to give them, give people the confidence to take the leap into the space. I, I know you mentioned my TED talk, which thank you for watching that. Um, you know, the, the whole kind of systemic change that we look to drive is really on these resource, these connections and relationships and the opportunity that we provide to be that differentiator in making people, you know, evolve in their potential career to doing something they never thought they could do with resources that they never thought they could have. Right. That's the whole yeah. genesis of this. And so, you know, it's just helping people get out of their comfort zone. And at the same time, we need a hell of a lot more talent, uh, investment, uh, and resources if we're going to really, you know, turn the tide on climate change and ocean degradation. So it sounds like you're ramping up the number of, um, you know, partners or, or entrepreneurs that you're working with, um, and and the the length of the program and all of these things. What are what are some of the key challenges in kind of catalyzing this? Because you are almost you know a first move. There's there's other organizations, of course, looking at ocean ocean as for an investment in, in investment and in in acceleration, incubation, and things. But what do you see as the key challenges? Is it finding you know more and more entrepreneurs? Is it um, finding capital providers? Is it the partnerships? between say NGOs or academic academia and where, where do you see the opportunities and the challenges here? I just want to say yes to everything you just said, uh, <laughs> but it's, it, it, it really is. So, I mean, I'll, I'll break it down from a couple of different perspectives. So first, again, it is that pipeline of talent, you know, with this new program, we're already seeing applications coming in weekly, which is something, you know, before when we had a defined deadline, we couldn't say that, but you know, it's still a, it, it's still a very, Again, the ocean space, I'll say in general, is a very exclusionary space, right? So it is that cultural Mm -hmm. change that people need to think differently about how they approach the career. So that uh, is definitely an ongoing challenge. And uh, I'll just say, you know, I saw that firsthand in grad school of, you know, that people aren't thinking entrepreneurially in the the marine science space. But uh, getting to the funding part, which is, I think, most important. So we are, first off, a 501c3 nonprofit. Uh, and that's been our journey has actually also been in refining our business model because we started out hybrid and then realized everything was just simpler if we kept everything under a nonprofit. Eventually, maybe we'll start an investment fund. But for now, uh, just showing up our nonprofit. And you know, really what we saw was that we need to think differently about philanthropy in this space, right? And I mentioned earlier some of the cultural change part, but really, you know, whether you're in VC, I mean, if you're doing investing, you're getting ROI, you have tax obligations, why not put it toward actually ensuring that you have deal flow and thinking about this entire holistic pipeline that has to start at the beginning with people with ideas, right? At the end of the day, because uh, you mentioned earlier, you know, VCs primarily invest in later stage, right? But mm-hmm. the early stage is the risky catalytic capital area, which is part of why it necessitates philanthropy and necessitates people to think about, you know, innovative things like blended finance, where we are, we're not only working to give these startups the startup capital they need, which currently we don't yet, but goals. And at the same time, ensuring that there are players like us and there are others starting to emerge in early stage that can exist to create that pipeline, right? Everyone in entrepreneurship knows how hard the first few years of starting a venture is. And yet 
you know, we haven't reinforced so much of the support and resources to help people navigate that, right? And so I think it's helping people think bigger about funding and think bigger about what actually building a pipeline and deal flow looks like, because, you know, the my experience is investors enjoy their free lunch on deal flow, but don't realize mm-hmm. that these entrepreneurs would never make it to their, <laughs> to their inbox if it wasn't for organizations helping them go from zero to one. Mm-hmm. Correct. So, so, you know, it's, 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 understanding that value and seeing that value. And at the same time, there is incentive for them with tax deductions and most importantly, the social impact side, right? And for us, we prioritize uh, diverse and, and underrepresented entrepreneurs. So 35% of our founders come from underrepresented backgrounds. And you know, we're hoping to obviously get that to 50% in the next few years. But it's, mm-hmm. I had one woman on my team of 25 when I worked for the Navy. It was, it was absurd. <laughs> like it's a, that's, it's a problem that not enough people talk about in the blue tech space is that it, we need to make it more diverse. And at any point, whether it's environmental, social, or the economic side, there is an impact that has to align with someone's both investment and philanthropy thesis. And, you know, I, the, the thing I gripe with is, you know, the philanthropy that's only focused on like saving the sea turtles. Right. Um, yeah. it, it's, and this gets back to kind of the instant gratification, you know, perspective. Yeah. And so, especially for those that are either investing or looking to invest in the space, like we need to think bigger about not only investing, but, you know, developing deal flow and pipeline because it is, and this is this is my, my last gripe. And sorry if I'm ranting, but it it really is a nascent industry, right? We're still very early. I mean, for my career, marine robotics only started 10 to 15 years before I started my career, maybe 20. We're treating it like there should be proven things and a, and, and a significant amount of deal flow. And the reality is, <laughs> there's so much evolution of this industry still to be had. And what are we doing to actually support that? A hundred percent. And, you know, your points around gender and, and racial diversity are not just, you know, in, in this domain, it's across tech. Uh, I would say mm-hmm. it's been, you know, very much a, a white male uh, VC dominated industry. And we could do with some uh, diversity there, like for a number of reasons. One, because we're leaving opportunities on the table and we're we're pushing away, you know, super talented people by not including them in the conversation. So that's great that you're focused on that because I think, uh, especially because, so is, quick question, is are you focused on Miami-based um, founders or, or do you look beyond that? Yeah. So we, we work with startups globally. Um, and actually this is kind of the, the other interesting aspect of our work is we really look our, at ourselves as ecosystem builders. Being from mm-hmm. South Florida originally, I never saw an opportunity to do the work I do here. Uh, I was mm-hmm. living in Boston and San Diego for my career. And when I came back to South Florida in 2020 to get my master's at University of Miami and launch Seaworthy, I really saw it as kind of this two-pronged approach where we needed to build and educate and uplift the local community to doing mm-hmm. ocean and climate impact work and creating, you know, creating grassroots momentum for doing work and opportunities that never existed here previously. And at the same time, help other people see an opportunity to deploy here. And anyone working in blue tech and especially climate tech knows Miami is this epicenter for you know, any, any effects of sea level rise and climate change, right? We're, we just got hit, well, the West coast of Florida just got hit by a major hurricane last year. You know, we, we know that we are going to see significant effects of rising sea levels within my lifetime and my children's lifetimes. Right. Mm -hmm. So 
the solutions have to come here. And uh, I think the stark thing is that there really wasn't anyone helping to to funnel that before, but we're we're doing that. And you know, it's it's really about people understanding that if they can prove their impacts here, then they can prove it so many so many other places. And so it's really this kind of bottom up and decentralized approach where we're able to bring people from anywhere to deploy here and at the same time uh, uplift the local community as well. And and how do you identify like how what's your criteria? How do you choose? I guess you've got your your three kind of pillars that you're looking for. Let's assume that someone kind of is is uh, has got something in, inside you know those. Well, what are the essential criteria you're really looking for when you're working out who to work with? Yeah. Uh, so I really value value driven entrepreneurship. I think uh, we especially in the sciences, get very caught up in the solutions. And I think early on, especially, this was one of my greatest lessons learned was that, you know, as sexy as an idea might be of someone working, for example, in carbon removal, right? At the end of the day is you have to work with them, especially for 12 weeks uh, <laughs> at a time in our previous model. And, and, you know, really to me, it's the values that we purport are authenticity and empathy as kind of our, our top ones, but it's it, a whole acronym called Anchored. And really understanding, you know, how are they coming into this as a whole person? And is this mm-hmm. someone not only that we want to work with, but is this someone that is moldable, moldable, coachable, and is really willing to do the work, right? Because entrepreneurship is not not easy. And, uh, you know, especially now with our new model, what we're doing is we're bringing in partners as well to deliver a lot of the curriculum and fundamentals that these entrepreneurs need that is also the work they probably don't really want to do, right? And so mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you know, we need people to be open-minded and willing to get out of their comfort zones. And especially in early stage, you know, you see people come in oftentimes very overconfident that they're ready for investment. And then they're like, oh, but I actually don't have any business model and don't know what I'm doing or a pitch deck. (laughs) Right. And so, (laughs) and so very quickly, right. You have to reality check people and are they going to be resilient enough to take that? Can they, can they take blunt feedback? Are they open-minded enough to actually listen and challenge their own preconceived notions? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, just in, you know, just in, it's hard to gauge that all in one conversation. Um, and we do a decent job in our onboarding surveys, but it, there is a type of resilient and empathetic and authentic entrepreneur that you're a mold really for that, that we look for. Um, and it's less based on the technology because if we know there's merit there, then we can get them there. It's it's really in early stage. It's all about the people. And and those and the people are they? Uh, I mean, obviously, there's the work you're doing with them, but they they're all working on their their different challenges, different approaches. Is there a lot of cross kind of pollination of ideas between the the participants or is everyone kind of working a little bit in a focused way? Yeah, so that's actually a big part of our focus is that cross pollination. And I love that term. Um, It's really about, I mean, community support. So we have, you know, these group meetings where we bring people together and bring in our community to support them, whether it's our team, we have a bunch of volunteers as well who want to just plug in and, and support these startups. But at the same time, you know, I mentioned earlier, it's about building the value chain. Mm. There are mutually beneficial ways, and we're actually very intentional on, on creating when we bring together startups in a cohort that we're bringing together multiple startups in an area, right? That we know these people can be working together, right? And so I mentioned the plastic pollution example is one example. We've worked uh, with, you know, had in our first cohort, we had a major seaweed focus uh, with 
I mentioned Falasso. We also had a seaweed farmer in Jamaica. And so it's it's really, you know, about how are we curating these connections that logically, right? It's it's just, you know, if you get people in a room and they realize how they can be working together and, you know, we, we just kind of do the, the, the setup of it's a pretty obvious opportunity, but more importantly, thinking deeper on, you know, how are we creating this traction and collaboration that's going to hopefully lead to investment, right? And so yeah. if we can, at the end of the day, for many of these solutions, and this is my biggest challenge for anyone thinking about doing ocean entrepreneurship, right? It's thinking bigger than one problem and one solution, right? Yeah. Um, I've you know talked to startups who are recycling uh, sailboat sails and turning it into bags. And I'm like, that's great, but how is that supposed to scale and really create massive impact is a very niche so problem. So true. Like right? it's, it's awesome. <laughs> it's an awesome thing and to be encouraged. But if you want to get venture back, then how are you going to make it big? you know uh, yeah, well, and, that, and it's impact that, really scaling impact yeah. i'm, I'm yeah. not even yeah I'm, I'm looking at more from the impact side but like but then i you know my feedback to them was like well if you're using recycled marine debris plastics or if you're using maybe uh carbon capturing seaweed as materials then we can talk right because then you're building the value chain so that's mm-hmm. that's the kind of perspective that I, I love to share with people that's that's so true and you mentioned seaweed i gave it a hard time obviously with the sargasm <laughs> like it's a pretty magical thing and and there, there could be so much job creation there and actually massive market size in terms of the value of it because you know it's a protein source and it's rich in you know minerals that the, the right kind um yeah. and i'm speaking to some really amazing founders in indonesia and and southeast asia um who are who are looking at you know this can be life-changing uh, you know to to families that are on a dollar a day are suddenly on yeah. on two dollars a day which is nothing right it's still poverty but it, it it's a massive change um and hopefully you know they're they're getting up to four dollars and that's that's the journey that we've got to be inspiring and taking people on because um it, there's so much good that can come from starting to work more in harmony with um you know our natural resources and i'm really glad you're focused on the ocean because it's a passion of mine and it's just such a, a, a an important thing to get right that as you point out is completely underinvested. what's the partnerships or the initiatives or the areas where you're looking to you know start to explore new areas uh, for seaworthy like anyone listening to this who, who do you want to speak to uh, well, I will say we are we're driven by a couple, actually quite a few different partners. So, you know, first off, government partners who help. You know, I mentioned we got our first federal grant. Um, we are continuing to look into how we scale our model. That's part of our whole shift to, for this year is how do we scale up? Um, and so we have both this decentralized startup support program and then our community programs are centralized or they're localized. So we already have our community building efforts here in Miami. We're looking already into the other coast of Florida to start expanding. Um, so that's one. Corporate partners are another. Uh, you know, obviously there are so, so many at the end of the day, and this is this is another piece I, I, I love to highlight, you know, it's the end the end beneficiary for so much of the work that's happening are major corporations, right? Investors mm-hmm. are just are, are are not the end beneficiary. They're the means to the end to help them get to that end beneficiary that's going to support their work and benefit from it. And so, you know, corporate partners for us, uh, we just announced our first corporate partner of the year, Baywest Digital. Um, and so those, you know, those corporate partners are what enable us to support startups. And then beyond that, philanthropist, uh, you know, really that is, as I mentioned earlier, one of the critical evolutions of what philanthropy means in really creating scalable impact and not just instant gratification, small scale impact. Um, and so, you know, for us, we always look for not only individual donors, but also foundations and 
you know, folks looking to really think differently about philanthropy. And then beyond that, um, really, it's it's this the community, right? And what I, what I love to say is everyone has something to contribute to the ocean and climate impact space. And, you know, if, if you want to be part of our community, you can join via our website. And at the same time, we have tons of virtual events as well as in-person events here in Miami, if you're ever in Miami. So be sure to follow us there. Oh, man, welcome to Miami. I definitely <laughs> would like to be coming to an in-person one. I don't think it's going to happen too soon. So I might have to join the virtual uh, the virtual ones because I, I really want to see some of these great companies that you're building, Daniel. And I think, a quick question, have you have you spoken to James Cameron, your inspiration for all of this? Have you got him as a philanthropic donor yet? Not yet. That's a goal. I, ha- I I did get to see his sub when I worked at Woods Hole, but we, we have not yeah. gotten to meet in person. I, I almost met Leo, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. We were in like the same room for a second. But that's, that's the closest I've gotten to any Hollywood connections. <laughs> oh man, you need to you need to yeah work the Miami connections and get to James Cameron for sure because he needs to be the face of this. Or not that your face isn't great, but like just uh, I'm sure he could bring a few Avatar pennies to the to the table too. That would be great. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Amazing. Um, Look, I've really enjoyed chatting to you about this and um, thank you for, you know, all the work you're doing. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you if, uh, if they're inspired by what you're doing? Absolutely. So you can go to our website, seaworthycollective.com or follow us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Seaworthy Collective and on Twitter at Seaworthy Global because character limits. Um, And then other than that, if you want to reach out, our, our General email is info at seaworthycollective.com. And we'll make sure this is in the show notes for you yes. and for every listener. And, and especially our, our application, sorry, I was going to say, especially our application yeah. for, for startup founders is also right there on our homepage too. It is. Um, get your thinking hats on, guys. I mean, there's one obvious one, which is we could we just need to sink the sarcasm uh, oh. down to the depths of the oceans. There's a nice carbon sink opportunity there for somebody. I'm sure that the, all the uh, the carbon-focused people will be <laughs> already thinking about that. We've talked but, to someone um, doing that. <laughs> oh, really? Okay, cool. So it's, you know, it doesn't have to be an original idea. Just <laughs> You just have to have a way of making it work. Amazing. Look, thanks so much. I really appreciate um, you taking us through it, uh, everything. Is there anything you've learned... Is it's been a fast journey. I'm going to leave on this question, which is, is there anything that you would want to you know, pass on to someone who is thinking about starting something as crazy as an incubator, startup, accelerator, um, venture studio in a new domain such as this? What's, what's, what's been your learnings and, and what's been your you know, main experience out of all this? Great question. I, I would say, you know, first off, when I, when I get back to you know, what my why is right it's i've said it's kind of like facilitating facilitators um in a way it's a very meta fulfillment right and you know really the journey of building an incubator accelerator is not a short one uh we do Mm -hmm. we don't have you don't see vc investments in these things because it actually is really more than not more often than not a nonprofit structure unless you have a fund behind you right which means that you have to go through the gauntlet of figuring out how to do a nonprofit and fundraise and get 501c3 status which not for the faint of heart all that to be said though you know i really think that this you know we need more ecosystem builders so that's that's kind of my my generalist look at it we need more ecosystem builders not only ocean space and climate and climate in general right and you know, people that are thinking bigger about what it means to develop impact, scale impact, and enable the on the ground solutions, right? 
And so whether you're thinking about starting one or thinking about what you can do to better support and enable impact beyond the solutions level, um, it really needs to be this bigger picture thinking. And at the same time, it is very idealistic and not necessarily as uh, instant gratification of seeing, you know, seeing your direct impact because a lot of these startups take years before they're really in the water. But, you know, at the end of the day, if you are thinking about being becoming an ecosystem builder. And, you know, I just really think that it is uh, about creating that vision that people can get behind and understanding what could the ecosystem look like because you started this, right? And thinking about if we were, you know, when I started, I said, Miami can be a blue tech hub. And, mm-hmm. you know, we've put ourselves literally on the map as part of a coalition with Richard Branson. Um, so it's, it's really about just understanding, you know, what that vision is and what it means for you to create this hub, this epicenter for innovation, and most importantly, community, right? Ecosystem building starts with community. And I don't think enough people see it that way. And it does take, I think, a special kind of person that the community can get behind that people will call you on your bullshit very quickly if, if you're if you're uh, you know not in it for the right reason. So you need to be a community builder, ecosystem builder, have that vision solidified, and just understand that it is not a short journey, but that you know, building a building a big vision takes time. It sure does, and I, I think you're the right man for the job, Daniel. You, you're yeah. you're going to be the person to take it from a Miami can be a blue tech hub to Miami will be a blue tech hub, and and it is already becoming one. So thanks for thanks for fighting the good fight. Thanks for joining us on the show and imparting your wisdom. I would urge everybody to go check out your TEDx talk. It's great. There's plenty of insights, but it's even it's even fun to watch on mute just based on that credible suit that you're wearing. A sort of <laughs> aqua, aquamarine, dark blue, depths of the ocean up to the kind of surface water color of, of the, the the lapping waters of Greece. Uh, yeah, it's and definitely it matched worth... the stage, which was a complete I, coincidence. <laughs> oh, man, I, I thought you had a heads up on that because I was nope. just like, wow, it was a, that blew me away before you even opened your mouth. So it's been really fun. We could talk a ton more, but uh, we're going to have to close it. Thanks, Daniel, for coming on the show. And uh, I look forward to following all your work. Thank you so much, Raphael. My pleasure.